few Sundays now, we've been looking at the topic of salvation. I've been kind of doing this sermon series on salvation. And today, we've come to this topic right here. And the question that we're going to be answering and looking at is, what must I do to be saved? Now, you might be thinking, well, why didn't you start right here? Well, I thought it was very important that instead of us looking at what I have to do in order to be saved, it's very important for us to look at what God has already done for us to be saved. And last week we looked at how Jesus is the source of that salvation. I think those topics are, at least largely, more important than what I need to do in order to be saved. And I hope that that also will kind of carry over uh, into this lesson as well as we look at this question, what must I do to be saved? First off, I want to comment a little bit about this. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, but I'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment. But the question is, what must I do to be saved? Now, I kind of find that an interesting question. Uh, now, most certainly it does come from the text right here. It comes from verse 30. We literally have this phrase, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So literally, we have this phrase within the text, this question, what must I do to be saved? But I think that question is kind of an odd question because many times that's what we long for people to, to ask us. That's what we long for the, the question that we want to answer for people and tell them, well, what do you have to do in order to be saved? But yet, you know, I find that question kind of odd because I, I think that question is very similar to a, a related question like this, you know, well, what must I do to be a good husband or what must I do to be a good son? You know, it, it's kind of an interesting thought because we start to think about, well, what do I have to do? Well, yeah, there's a part that you play most certainly in being a good husband. I mean, you know, I, uh, obviously I have to do something to, to be a good husband or I have to do something in order to be a good son. You know, whatever the case, when, when we start to think about those things, I think it's important that we, we recognize 
it's more than just what you do. It's more than just what I do. Most certainly whenever it comes to following God. It has to do with what he has done. What he has done to save us. You know, it's more than simply what you do. Because in this case of salvation, you cannot save yourself. Now, I don't mean to be negative about that. I just mean to be honest because you can do nothing to save yourself, just like I can do nothing to save myself. It's all in what God has done, and it's all in putting our faith and our trust in him. So let's take a look at this passage right here, and we're going to look mainly at this story. By the way, it's really basically verses 25 uh, through on down to verse 34, but we're going to back up a little bit, and then we're going to also continue on a little bit more than that. So uh, this slide right here, it's verses 16 through 24. Now, I thought about just kind of summarizing this for you, uh, but you know, I decided it's not going to take very long just to read it. Uh, I'm going to read it, pretty much not really comment on it. This is just to give you the background of, uh, well, the story takes place, uh, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Well, why are they in prison? Okay, this is that story. So Acts 16, verses 16 through 24. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which he predicted by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, um, this is why they're thrown in prison. You know, we look at this and we're thinking, okay, is this really reason enough to be thrown in prison? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it messed with somebody's finances. That's why they had this problem with it, because they couldn't uh, make this money any longer. And whenever you start messing with people's finances, yeah, sometimes they uh, they come at you fighting. And that's what they did here with Paul and Silas. They tried to to make this statement that, oh, well, they're they're trying to get us to to practice these things that we as Roman citizens can't do. We can't accept that. We can't practice that. Is that really the case? Well, I don't think so. And if we keep reading, we most certainly see uh, that uh, even this jailer, um, he shows that you can accept these practices. In fact, that's what he's going to do. But now let's get to that part, okay? So they're in prison, and this is how they got there. They didn't really do anything deserving prison, but mm, some people got upset with them and threw them in jail. So while they're in jail, this story takes place. Verses 25 through 30 now. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
So as we look at this passage, you know, we, we see this amazing miracle that has already taken place. And we also see, of course, the question for which this sermon is titled, what must I do to be saved? But let's make sure that we understand kind of the severity of this question and the severity of what's going on right here and really kind of the severity of this this miraculous occasion because God has has literally opened up the doors opened up the ways for them who are have these chains on them to be loosed and to be freed I mean this huge earthquake it's shaking the foundations isn't it amazing really that uh, it loosens their chains and allows them to be set free but yet it doesn't make the roof cave in I mean you know I don't know exactly how that worked and and all but it's just I think one of these things that we see that God's hand was working right here he was opening uh, these doors literally but these were doors that Paul and Silas weren't supposed to walk through they weren't supposed to walk through because uh, they are going to be walking through these spiritual doors and, and opening the ways for this this jailer and teaching him about what he must do in order to be saved but here we see this example of Paul and Silas. Whenever everyone's chains came loose, why didn't the prisoners escape? Now, you know, quite literally, uh, all we have is just this story, and we don't actually have the explanation for why the other prisoners did not escape. But they didn't. Perhaps it was because they heard Paul and Silas, and it does say in verse 25 that they were listening to them. So perhaps it made an impact in their lives. Perhaps they just kind of were afraid about what was going to happen with this jailer. And I mean, what would happen if they tried to escape? Whatever the case, they chose to not escape. I'd like to think it's because of the, uh, the witness that Paul and Silas were and how the, they were listening to them singing and they were listening to them praying and it made an impact in their lives. I'd like to think that at least, and, and I guess if, uh, if I were to, to, to retell this story, that's kind of how I would say it, but you know, Technically, we don't know why they didn't escape, but they didn't. Thankfully, they didn't because that allowed them to be able to, to talk with this jailer. Because one of the things that Paul shouted to him was, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, when you look at what the jailer was about to do, I mean, he was about to, to take his own life, which I mean, to us, it sounds crazy. But, you know, well, in his situation, it was going to be bad. Uh, they, they were not going to deal with him very lightly for what had just taken place because all of his prisoners had escaped. At least that's what he thought. But that wasn't the truth of the matter. The truth was they were all there. And that's why Paul called out and told him that they were all there. The jailer found out that that was so. Then he asked this question, which I think, I think we can, uh, I think we can uh, look at this question on different layers even. Because we typically think about it just in the spiritual sense. And we think, okay, this question in verse 30, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? But, you know, another part is uh, physically speaking, he's just wondering, okay, what do I do with this mess? I mean, everything is messed up. What do I do about this? Because something was, was triggered with the example of Paul and Silas as to why this jailer looks at them and says, what do I need to do? Okay, and maybe on the one hand, he's talking you know, physically speaking, because he, he's, he, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do in that instance? But how they answer, they quickly take this conversation even uh, deeper, maybe. Or, or maybe he only meant it uh, spiritually from the very beginning. Whichever the case, that's where Paul and Silas take this. They take this to the root of what's going on. Uh, the root of really kind of, you know, all sin and what's at the heart of the matter and how to fix everything, really. So they are asked this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, I want you to think about it yourself. 
If somebody were to ask you, what do I need to do in order to be saved? What would be your response? Now, I probably am, am speaking to quite a few of you who are uh, my fellow brothers and sisters uh, in, in, um, uh, who are in the Church of Christ. And, and if that's the case, you know, we probably uh, will pretty quickly respond with, well, well, baptism. You know, that's the answer. But actually, that's not the answer that Paul gives right here. And I think that's very important for us to pay attention to and for us to realize that. Now, his response in, in the next verse, which I'll get to that slide in just a moment, but the next, uh, his response is, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. See, their response was that they needed to believe. It wasn't baptism, interestingly enough. And I think we need to listen to that and listen to why would he say that they needed to believe, that, that he needed to believe instead of that he just needed to be baptized. Well, let me explain this and, and kind of remind you of this. See, baptism without belief, it just means you got wet. But, you know, if, if you have belief, that is how salvation can come. That's actually what you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that it's our faith that produces and leads to our salvation. Now, that is true, you know, across the board with, with whichever testament we're talking about. And that is so important because this answer it bridges this gap. And we see, of course, the ways that that belief would be carried out in the Old Testament might look very different. In fact, it would have looked very different than it looks in the New Testament. And of course, we also find out that in the New Testament, whenever we believe and put our full faith and our full trust in God, then yes, that does include baptism. For those of you who would want to instantly respond with that, yes, it is part of it. But we need to make sure that we get these priorities straight. As I reminded you before, if you're baptized but you don't have faith, pretty much all you did was you got wet. That's not what baptism is about. Baptism and everything about what we do, it comes back to this belief. This belief in God and being able to put our faith in him, put our faith in the plan that he has put into place for us to be saved, for, for to bring about our own salvation. So now... Let's go back to the story, verse 30. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now let's keep reading. Verses 31 through 34. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This passage, it's an amazing story. It's a wonderful story. And I think there's so much that we need to learn. I think it's important that to this question, what must I do to be saved? The immediate response was not baptism, though that was part of it. It's found in verse 33 at the end of that. That most certainly is part of the answer. But it's not the primary answer. The primary answer comes back to this belief in the Lord Jesus. Whenever we have our faith, our trust, our belief in our Lord Jesus, then that's whenever we start to recognize what salvation is about. And see, they took this and and they took it even one step further. They said, you know, the, the question was, what must I do to be saved? But their response was, what you need to do, but also what your whole household needs to do. And that included some interesting things. It included, of course, belief. 
as we looked at there in verse 31. But you know, it also included this whole household listening to the word of the Lord. That's what verse 32 is about. It's about the word of the Lord, that they spoke this word of the Lord. That is through which we can also be saved. The word of the Lord is active. The word of the Lord must be proclaimed. If you also keep reading, you find out in verse 33 that yes, baptism is part of what we need to do in order to be saved. Yes, it's part of it. And we also find out something in verse 34 that I hope that we never overlook. And that is this response. In verse 34, it says that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. I hope that we can make sure that whenever we are asking or answering the question of what must I do to be saved, that it includes joy whenever we receive that salvation. And I hope that we can be, that we can be Christians who will rejoice with other people who are being saved in our midst. So we see this story right here. We see that the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? It included belief. It included hearing the word of the Lord. It included baptism. It included joy. But also we need to notice in verse 34, the last phrase that, that's mentioned there, and, and this isn't the only time it shows up, but you know it shows up three different times. It shows up in verse 31, it shows up in verse 33, and then in verse 34, it's that last phrase, he and his whole household. They had all come to believe in God. They had all come to, to be baptized. They had all come to be followers of God by listening to the word of God. And they were all filled with joy. We see that it is he and his whole household. Now, I believe that this can and this should also be able to, to be described of Christians today and Christian families today. That these things can also mark our own households. That we believe in Jesus that we listen and speak the word of God, that we have been baptized, but then also that we can have this joy, both ourselves and our whole household. That is so important. That's so wonderful to, to recognize that, that this is the goal of the question, what must I do to be saved? To listen to the word of God and to obey the word of God. That's where our faith comes from. That's what we see in this story and that's what we see time and time again throughout both Testaments. There's still just a little bit more in this chapter about how uh, what happens in this occasion. So let's continue on reading. Verses 35 through 40 now. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So in this passage right here, we find out that the original ones who were put on trial, so to speak, or I guess technically they weren't even put on trial. They literally were just beat and they were just thrown in prison. They were, they were treated like that because that they were followers of, of Christ. You know, they were citizens of, of this heavenly kingdom and they were, they were following God and obeying what the word of the Lord said. And they were the ones that were accused of disobeying the law. 
But interestingly enough, the ones who actually disobeyed the law were the ones who carried this out on Roman citizens. That's why in verse 38 they were alarmed because you know, if, if people started to investigate what happened right here, they'd find out that, that these, these Romans who allowed all this to take place, they were the ones who were actually on the, the wrong side of the law. But these Christians, this group of Christians right here, they weren't doing anything wrong. They never were. They were just doing the work of God. Now, sometimes people have a problem with that. And, you know, sometimes we just have to, to be able to, to move forward and to carry on from that. Because, after all, let's be reminded that even Jesus himself, he suffered and he was persecuted. And he said that is part of following him. That, that's part of what it means whenever we decide to follow Christ and decide to, to follow him fully with our lives. But right here, we do get this one question that carries out to us. That question that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Well, I would say that Paul would answer the same thing to all these people right here who, who they didn't know what they were going to do. You know, Paul would answer to them, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. Whenever you can believe in the Lord Jesus, put your faith, put your trust in him and follow him. Then you can see great things happen in your life. We live in a time when we know the gospel message when we know the good news about Jesus. Let's rejoice because of that. Let's live within that time and, and live our life to the fullest and tell people about this. Let's spread the word of God so that more and more people can come to follow God and receive the salvation that, that God has, has freely given to each and every one of us. Will you help me do that? I hope that you will. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.